0: Welcome to the Karis Christian Center Podcast. Um, anyways, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Philippians 3. We've been going through the book of Philippians. I've entitled this series, If You're Happy and You Know It. Um, and I love, I love this book in the Bible. It's a great book on happiness, on supernatural joy. And uh, this, of course, was written by the Apostle Paul when he was not in a happy place, but that didn't affect who he was in Christ, amen? His joy wasn't based upon circumstance. His joy was based upon Jesus. And if your joy, if your happiness is circumstantial, it's not gonna be supernatural. And Jesus actually wants us to have supernatural joy. He wants to have a supernatural life. And I believe that's God's will. God wants us to be happy. You know, I, I like it when my household is happy. I like it when my children are happy. I like it when my wife is happy. Happy wife, happy life. So I I do certain things to ensure that there is happiness in my house. Like, I let the girls do whatever they want. And um, so that's how you can keep a happy household, but um, how you can have supernatural happiness is by putting your trust in God. The Bible says in Psalm 144, Verse 15, that happy are the people whose God is the Lord. I believe that God is a good, good father. And because he's a good father, he wants his children to be happy. Who's here? Who here is a child of God? If you're a child of God, I think it's safe to assume that God wants you to be happy. He delights in your prosperity. He delights in your joy. He delights in blessing you. He delights He delights in, in just anointing you with his kind of joy and um, you know, one one thing that Jesus did for us, He actually um, gave us His joy. You know, if, if I if I a lot of people have kind of a wrong picture of Jesus, they they just picture Jesus as like flipping tables and whipping people all the time. <laughs> he was doing that from a place of joy. You know, He was delighting in doing that. I, I think He He had a good laugh about it. You know, shortly after, how He knew that was going to happen, He was looking forward to driving out the you know the, the wickedness out of the temple and restoring that, you know, place of prayer there. Um, But Jesus Jesus is not cranky. He's not sitting up in heaven right now with a sour face. He's not sitting up in heaven just drinking, you know, lemonade without any sugar in it. (laughs) Jesus is not cranky. He's not worried. He's not stressed out. He is full of joy. He knows that he's alive, that nothing could hold him down. He knows that he's going to come back here and, um, um, He's going to stand again on that last day. He's going to stand here on this earth. So Jesus, uh, some people just have the wrong picture of Jesus. You know, maybe they, they went to too many museums and saw all those old paintings of Jesus just, you know, making these weird kind of peace signs with a very unpeaceful face. But Jesus, uh, I like what the Bible says about Jesus. I like what the prophets said about Jesus. I like what the, uh, this prophecy in Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7 Speaking about Jesus, speaking about the Messiah, so if Jesus was cranky, he couldn't be the Messiah. If he didn't have joy, he couldn't have been the Messiah. If Jesus was just unpleasant all the time, just bitter and worried and stressed out and depressed and anxious and Like, it would disagree with this messianic prophecy from Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7, when she says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness, the oil of joy, more than your companions. Jesus had more joy than anyone who was around him. I love that he had more joy than any human that's ever walked on the face of the earth, and um, you know why? Is that his joy was not natural, his joy was not circumstantial, his joy was not based upon what people thought about him. It it, it came from who he was. It came from his relationship with the Father. That's where our joy comes from. It can't be based upon what other people think about us, um, how things might be going on a day-to-day basis, how, how things have been going even the past decade for you. Our joy has to be based upon our relationship with God. God loves us. We're his children. He delights in our happiness. And I believe that right now, if you're, if you're struggling in that joy department, that, that anointing oil of joy is available to be dumped on you right now. God's not holding back joy from you. He's not holding back and just saying, well, I'm going to let Sister Betty there just be miserable for a few more years, and then I'll just give her a little taste of a tiny glimpse of happiness. No, that joy is there for us uh, right now, and I believe that if you just just open yourself up to that and say, God, I, I want... I want a double dose of that joy, you know the high priest the high priest, they could just anoint people with with those anointing oils that's that's one of the anointing oils of Jesus amen and uh, you know when Jesus went, when he, when he anoints us with certain oils, he actually in the old testament they would they would mix the anointing oils with with the blood sacrifice, part of why part you know. Good Friday, we're gonna remember what Jesus did on the cross. Part of why Jesus shed his blood was to mix that blood with what he gives us, with, with the healing anointing, with the anointing of his presence, with the anointing of but also that anointing of joy. That anointing oil, like in the old testament, they, they would mix the, the sacrificial blood into that oil and, and pour it. The high priest would the priest would pour it on people. So I believe that Jesus, when he anoints you with joy, it's it's part of It's available because he paid for it with his own blood. Does that make sense? And um, Paul Paul, um, had this supernatural joy revelation. You know, joy can come to you through a a supernatural revelation. A lot of believers are, are going from teaching to teaching, preacher to preacher, looking for knowledge but, but sometimes you, you, need, you need a Holy Spirit supernatural download. Amen? Um, you know, re- recently, um, Heather and I gave, gave a, a big offering to, to a minister who, who, under, who has this revelation of joy, and he wrote a very nice thank you card to us, but he just said, I'm praying that the harvest upon this you know, generous seed you sowed is, is a harvest of supernatural revelation, I thought, how, how cool is that? You know, a lot of us, you know, want to harvest in different, but, but that, that's, that's probably the greatest harvest you can receive from God is one of, of just supernatural revelation. God's speaking to you directly. And joy, joy can come by revelation. Amen. It can come by revelation. Several years ago, I saw this um, video that went viral on social media. This woman just laughing uncontrollably while she was wearing this Chewbacca uh, mask. And it turns out she, um, may, a few of you have maybe seen that, but she she wrote a book that told her life story, and um, she had actually been um, horribly abused as a girl and, and just struggled with extreme anxiety, extreme depression. But but God actually healed her heart and gave her supernatural joy, and um, that that kind of joy it's just contagious. You know, she she would go, it went very viral. She was on like a lot of. Um, talk shows and things like that, and just people just around her. You could just tell it, like she just had this supernatural anointing of joy on her. And um, it, it came from, from Jesus. And I just think that's so cool when, when uh, we receive um, these things just by supernatural revelation. So Paul Paul had that supernatural revelation. So we're going to talk about, if you're happy and you know, we're going to go to Philippians 3 now and just I'm sharing a few keys to keep rejoicing. I think the enemy tries to steal joy. He tries to steal joy. He tries to, man, just just muck people up, muck places up, muck relationships up, muck churches up with strife, with bitterness, with nonsense. Um, That doesn't really matter. And... um, I think some of the things that trip people up are so are so small and so in, insignificant compared to. Like, don't don't lose your joy over little piddly things. Amen. And um, let's let's read here. So this, this first key that Paul talks about in Philippians three is, is just keep living for Jesus. Keep man, if you keep living for Jesus, um, you're going to have tremendous joy. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So he, he writes, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, joy. He write, he's talking about joy over and over. And he's saying, for me to write it over and over again, it's not tedious. I'm going to remind you as many times as I can, keep rejoicing in the Lord. Keep rejoicing. No matter what's going on, your joy is not circumstantial. Your joy is from Jesus. Keep rejoicing. Amen. And, and live for Jesus. I, and he, he gives them some warnings here, like beware of dogs. How many of you have ever seen those beware of, of dog signs? We need to get one for our house. We have a dog that likes to, to nip at people, bite at people, and Heather, every time we have a new person come to our house, it's, it's her dog that she rescued in Tennessee, this this um, you know, stray dog that showed up on her porch, and um, he, he had a lot of issues. He still has some issues. Heather's helped him a lot. My dog, Winston, has helped him a lot, but he still has some issues, so we, we always tell people, beware of Willie Nelson. <laughs> you know don't try to pet him, don't just, just ignore him, beware but, but Almost fifty percent of the time, people think they know better than Heather. Like, oh, I'm I'm a dog whisperer. Trust me, they they reach their hand down and it just gets bit, and they. <clears throat> it's happened many many times. And I think Paul Paul's saying, you know, some of you have been bitten by religious dogs, and you keep you keep. Ch- I've, I've, I've warned you several times. I've warned you in Colossians. I've warned you in Galatians. I've, I'm warning you now in Philippians, but beware of dogs. And what's, he, what's he talking about? What, what kind of, and he's saying this over and over again. And in Galatians 5.15, I like what he said there to the church in Galatia, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So, so he's saying that beware of of people who continually bite, who continually devour, who continually consume you, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He's talking about people who have a religious spirit, people who are very legalistic, people who are trying to point you back to the law, point you back to circumcision, point you back to, hey, your joy, you, you shouldn't be happy because you gotta do something. Why are you happy? Why do you, think, why do you think God loves you? Why do you think you're righteous? Why do you think you can trust in God? You're not, you're not good enough. He's saying, beware, beware, beware. They're they're out there. They're out there during his lifetime. They're out there still today. And and, um, some people just, you know, they they think, well, I'm okay. I understand true faith. I understand grace. But I'm just going to just try to pet the law a little bit. And try, you know, it, it's okay just a little bit. To, to live by it a little bit is okay. It's just a little dog. And, and he's saying, be, beware. And um, if, if someone, if something is constantly biting at you, it's, it's better to just keep your distance, right? Beware, don't try to climb the fence. Don't try to go pet them. Don't try, just, just, um, the grass is greener on your side of that fence. <laughs> it's greener on the grace side. Trust me. Amen. You don't need to go go back to legalism go back to the law. It, it's greener, right? Where you're at, It's greener. Jesus is, is on that side. He's on the grace side of that fence. So stay on that side of the fence. Amen. He's saying be, beware of evil workers. Beware of people who are trying to maybe manipulate you through the law. Mani- just... They're not really looking out for your best interests. They're looking out for themselves. Looking, trying to gain control. Um, manipulation is evil. It, it's um to to me, it's like witchcraft. Um, one thing I love about this church is is we we do not manipulate. Jesus paid it all. So if you're gonna give, it's 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 because. You get to do it, not that you have to do. If you're going to serve, it's not because we're going to manipulate you into serving. It's it's uh gee. everything that we do, we do it out of place of freedom. Does that make sense? I was thinking about how Paul, you know, in Philippians one, he, chapter one, he introduces himself as a bond servant of Christ. So so he worked very hard. He really Paul was a servant. He was a hard worker. Uh, but he, he wasn't doing it out of, out of something, that, out of a debt that he owed, right? He said, I'm a bond servant. What's a bond servant? In the Old Testament, a bond servant is someone who, who was enslaved for a period of time. They, they were in such great debt that they couldn't, you know, they didn't have enough to pay. They didn't have enough, they, they couldn't sell enough things. They couldn't, so they actually had to, to, to owe a certain period of time to pay off that debt, like I'll work for, for 10 years to pay off that debt. Where I'll sell 10 years of my service, 10 years of my life to pay off that debt. Bankruptcy wasn't a thing in the Old Testament, right? And, um, but, but in the Old Testament it said if someone, after they, served, after they served what they had to, if they really loved working for that master and said, I really love my life here, I love what my master has done for me, I love the life I have here, I, I want to just keep working for this guy. And it's not because I owe it, but it's because I love my master. Then, then, then that servant would take an awl and, and pierce their ear, and it would be a mark that they, they, they aren't, it's, what they're doing now isn't because they have to, it's because they've chosen to do it, Right? So and I love that Paul, Paul understands that like everything I do for Jesus, he, he's paid it all. I'm going to serve. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to minister to others. But everything that I'm doing, it's not out of a place of debt or being forced to. It's, it's, it's out of a place of, of love for Jesus. So I'm gonna live for Christ and whenever I minister to other people, it's, it's because I love people and because I love Jesus and um, stay away from evil workers, people, especially um, people who are very manipulative and um, I, I, don't, I don't like seeing, I, I've seen manipulation, you know, you can, I remember, I remember once I was in school and I turned on Christian television late one night and I was watching this um, you know, broadcast, and the, the, the person speaking said, you know, if you call in right now and give $535, you know, there's a word from the Lord, Isaiah 53.5, you know, that you're gonna be healed right now if you give $535. That, that, was, that was very manipulative, right? Healing, healing is actually a free thing available to the believer. It's part, it's part of what Jesus paid for at the cross. It's part of salvation. If you have to pay for any part of salvation, that, that, that's like the selling of indulgences. It's, it's the, 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 same, the same type of thing. So just beware. Stay, stay away from that stuff. And if people are, are emotionally manipulating you, you can just say no. Just, I'm, I'm not, not doing that. And um, I like something that my dad has said about, you know, especially with your close relationships. Um, a secret to longevity in ministry is to guard your closest relationships. I love that. Guard, guard your closest relationships. Um, if people are are kind of biting, devouring other people. Um, if you just sense that, just just kind of distance yourself from that. You know, I, I just, I, I haven't pastored a super long time, six years now, but I, I've just seen that, um, you know, so, some people um, are very good about when when there's some kind of drama going on, they, they they just don't, they just step aside a little bit. But some people, when there's some drama going on, they, they just jump right in the middle, they just grab their bag of popcorn and, you know, show up for the party and, and and they just get sucked into it, just like a, a mosquito to the zapper. <laughs> <laughs> drama, drama is like that mosquito zapper. And uh, sometimes you just, just kind of stay away from it and don't, you're less likely to get devoured and less likely to get zapped. You know, he's saying, beware of the mutilation. That's talking about circumcision. Beware of trying to please God through your own works. If you're trying to please God through your own performance, your faith will be mutilated. Your faith won't work to its full capacity if you're trying to please God through your own works. Beware of trying to do what God has called you to do in your own strength. If you're trying to follow God's call and plan for your life on your own, you're going to end up feeling mutilated at times. Let's go on here. He says that we are the circumcision, verse 3. We are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's saying if you want to rejoice, if you want to have supernatural joy in Christ Jesus, keep living for him, keep looking for him, and don't make it about you about your performance, about your own goodness, about your righteousness, if you, if you make it about you, if you make it about keeping a set of laws, if you make it about pleasing other people who've placed certain laws upon you, your joy is in that, not in Christ Jesus. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is not legalism. I, I love that contrast Rejoice in, the, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Yeah, at one time, and, and Paul's going to talk about this here in a little bit, but he had, he had a lot to boast about. He had a lot to, to, to be confident for in his flesh. He, he talks about it later on. But before, before he learned how to rejoice in Jesus, before he met Jesus and put his faith in Jesus, do you think Paul was a happy person? I think he's a much joy, more joyful person here when he's writing this letter than before. He knew who he was in Christ Jesus. Before he, who he knew, he, I don't think you, you'd want to meet Saul of Tarsus before he met Jesus. There's a chance he might be dead. He, he was not, he was probably a very, very, very miserable person. There's one point in in Acts he was telling his testimony to King Agrippa and he said, before I met Jesus I was filled with exceeding rage. How how many of you have ever met someone like that? They're just just, they just have this exceeding rage. That's probably who someone who like the Saul of Tarsus was, but he's saying rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. He, he was someone who could have a lot of confidence in the flesh. He was someone who had, had a name for himself, had the best education, had you know, society's approval, who, who you know, dotted every I, crossed every T, but he was a miserable person. But he's saying, in Christ Jesus, you can truly rejoice. I love what he says here. So he's saying, if, if, if it's about confidence in the flesh, look at me, verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's saying, if you want to make it about you, about your own performance, about your own works, about your own rule following, let, let, me, let me show you. He's saying that there's other preachers out there who are making it kind of mixing the law in with, with the grace of Jesus, but he's saying that's not what it's about. Right? He's saying if you make it about that, I could boast a lot more. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I think that's a big statement. To say, if you, if you looked at my life and have it, had it measure up to the law, you couldn't find anything wrong with me. I kept the law, the Old Testament law, precisely. But, but the way I was trying to keep the law, the law kept on pointing to me. To me, to me, right? If, if, you're, if you're a legalistic person, it, you try to make yourself look good. It's about you. Law keeping is about you. It's not about a relationship with Jesus. If I if I came home and wanted to to have joy in my household, I wouldn't just go up to Heather and list a hundred reasons why she should be happy. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at look at look at look at look at Would that make you if you were having a rough day, Heather. <laughs> and I just showed up after work and you know there's a screaming baby and you know the you know it's, you've had a rough day, and I just say, "Well, you should be happy because look at me. <laughs> look at what I have done and just listed you know all six hundred and sixty laws I have followed you know throughout the day, and oh, thou most belovedest of my that that. That wouldn't lead to much joy in the house. <laughs> you know, when, when you uh, when when you take a relationship and you make it about law keeping and, and rule following, it, it you know what happened? What, why people like to follow rules is because it's not because they 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 want to know what the rules are. People who who kind of like to follow rules it. It's because they always want to do the minimum to get by. You know, I remember, I remember when I um, was doing my doctorate at Rice University of Music, I had to teach a freshman uh, music theory class. And uh, this is my first time teaching, like, like, kind of a course like this. And um, like I think in the first week, so a couple of students kind of wanted to know, well, what, what do I have to do? What's the minimum I have to do to get an A in this class? And... Uh, I saw thought, you're just like missing the point big time. And like, if, if you want to, you know, be, you know, have a career in music and, and like, what's the least I have to practice? What's the least I have to, like, you need to just find another career to be in. Um, but that's what, that's what, that's what like religion is like, approaching God. Well, what's the, if it's based upon you, and you, you kind of gravitate towards that. Well what's what's the least I have to go to church? Do it you know, do I just just am I okay just with Easter and Christmas? Uh, what's the what's the least I have to volunteer? What's the least I have to give? You know, you know why like tithing isn't mentioned a whole lot in the New Testament? Because there's no cap on giving for the New Testament believer. There's no cap on how often you assemble. You know, there's, there's no cap on it. And, um, you know, and again, just relating it to like a, uh, a relationship we can understand, like marriage. If I, if, I, if on our wedding day here on, at the altar you know, with my father, and ministering the vows, if I, I said, all right, well, Heather, before I say I do, I want to know what's the least, you know, I have to pay for a present for you every you know, time it's your birthday. <laughs> what's the least amount of dates we have to go on now that we're married? What's the, what's the, you know, the least I have to spend on vacation? What's the, wh- how, how, what's the least amount of times I have to tell you I love you? What's the... Does that sound like a healthy relationship? No, and, and if you if you approach God that way, like what's the least you know um, it's, it's, not, it's not a healthy type thing, and, and God God isn't looking out to do what the least He could do for you. Some people think that about God, like God, God's going to just do the least for me. You know God God's just going to take care of me. Enough financially, or God just going to take you know, just help me get by with my health, or help me? He's he's just he's just a get by kind. That, that that's not. Man, who who would want someone like that as a, as a close relationship? Someone who they just think is just always out to do the very least. God God actually did the very most for us. And he still wants to do the very most for you today, right? And the Bible says in, in Romans 8 that he who, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also freely give us all things? Does that make sense? God's not, God is not holding out. God is not what, what's the least I can do for Aaron today. God, God is looking out for ways to bless us in just more, more than we can even comprehend. Um, let's go on here. So verse 7. What things that were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God, by faith. So he's saying, uh, everything that I accomplished on my own, all my, all my own righteousness, all my own um, good deeds, all my, you know, how people saw me, all, all of that, this this perfect little life that I thought I had before I met Jesus It doesn't even compare to the excellence of the knowledge of him. And that that word knowledge, it's not knowing about him. That word is talking about a relationship with Jesus. He's saying having this life-giving, life-changing, experiential relationship with Jesus. Nothing can compare to that. Everything that I thought was great compared to that is complete rubbish, he said, I'm going to keep gaining Christ, be found in him, not having my own righteousness. This is verse 9, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. True righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He said, if he got out of that grave, I'm walking too. Right? A couple weeks ago we had dinner with um, some neighbors and uh, one of our neighbors, he's a, a minister from a certain denomination, and we were, we brought up uh, um, another type of denomination. Heather was asking about because uh, this this uh, neighbor of ours is, is very intellectual, very smart. He uh, he has his own like online Bible commentary with other um, seminary professors, and uh, Heather was asking him what he thought about um, you know instruments in church. And you know, she knows, like in Tennessee, there's a few churches that uh, they don't allow any instruments. And he said, well, they're just very strict and how they interpret scripture, and and, um, if they don't see it in the New Testament, then they're not going to do it at all. So, you know, there's a lot of, of course, in the Psalms and the Old Testament, you know, all throughout the Old Testament, there's a lot of scripture about instrumental worship. You know, shofars are mentioned, flutes are mentioned, praise God, I can at least be an Old Testament musician. The flute is specifically mentioned. Electric guitars are not mentioned, sorry, (laughs) for those who strictly interpret you know, and I, I just made a joke, and I said, well, I guess they're going to miss out on the, the second coming because their church won't have a trumpet. They won't hear the sound of the trumpet. <laughs> <clears throat> Which that is mentioned in the New Testament, by the way, the, the, when the trump sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so there is, there is an instrument. So I guess I guess it, those denominations, they could, they could just have trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> and choirs and, you know, people with multiple eyes and wings and yeah. dancing around church. <laughs> Heaven is going to be a wild place. and yeah. yeah. it's, it's probably going to be somewhat noisy at times too, but you're going to have this glorified eternal body that will not suffer, you know, We don't have to worry about the OSHA decibel range for when hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of saints join together in unison with trumpets. I know there'll at least be trumpets. Probably flutes. Don't bury me with my flute, though. Sell that, you know. I'll find a better flute in heaven. The, The streets are paved with gold. I'm sure God can... Make me a golden flute, you know, my first day there in heaven. We're going to all attain to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Everyone who, who puts their trust in Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. So keep living for Jesus. Amen. Next point here, keep moving forward. I was kind of thinking about Paul. Paul. It's kind of everything that he, he um, personally did, personally saw throughout his life. Um, he, he, he could have been someone who just got stuck in shame, stuck in guilt, stuck in, why did I do that? Why stuck there, right? But one, one thing I know about, about, one thing that the blood of, of Jesus I talked about this last week. How salvation—it's both past, present, and future. One thing about that—that current um, work of salvation going on in the life—we talked about the current um, salvation that's going on in you. It's it's in your soul, right? You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Bible talks about that in in Hebrews that that, um, the blood can actually purge our conscience. So the blood can actually wash your your. Your conscience, your thought life, your, your, your mind. The blood of Jesus has, has the ability to, to wash to wash you of hurt, self-inflicted hurt, hurt that other, maybe serious trauma. I don't, the bl- one, the, the blood of Jesus can, can just, I know some people who've been through some crazy things in life, but you wouldn't even know it, it doesn't, it doesn't affect them like the way it can affect, would normally affect people. Because that, that, that blood of Jesus can actually purge your conscience. Yay. Does that make sense? And um, I believe that happened to Paul. I believe, you know, he could have been really tore up. Maybe other people were, were placing guilt on You know, hey, I, I saw you there when Stephen was killed. I saw you there smirking. I saw you there giving the command for everyone to stone him. But I, I think I think paul paul the the blood of Jesus purged his conscience so he didn't have to dwell in in that past that that past of shame hurt. Does that make sense? and he kind of talks about that here and he, he's saying, hey, um, verse twelve, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected I love this he's saying I'm not perfect, I'm not saying I'm perfect he's saying if you really are a mature believer, you're, you're not going to claim to know it all. He said, "I, I keep pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of for me, brethren. I do not count myself to be apprehended, but one thing I do: forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ." Therefore, let us, I love this, as many as are mature have this mind. So he's saying if you're really mature, you're not gonna get hung up in your past. You're not gonna get hung up in the past of other people. And you're gonna realize that, hey, I don't have it all figured out yet. You know, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, but also, hey, these people who believe on you, they they are new creatures in Christ Jesus as well. If you're mature, have this mind, and if any of you... If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So he's saying if you, if you think you already know it, you don't. God's going to reveal some more stuff. God, if you think you know it all, if you think you, you know it all, you don't, you don't need to learn from anyone else. You don't need to learn from other believers. You don't need to learn from a preacher. You don't need to learn. God's going to reveal some things to you. And he said, nevertheless, to the, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us all be of the same mind. It's, he's saying, let, let's all keep growing together. Amen? I've heard this statement before, but some people, you know, want to leave a church because they, they just, I've just grown too much for that place. I've just grown too much. There's nothing there for me anymore. That Pastor Lawson, I, I've just heard all of his, I, I know That Pastor Aaron, man, I just heard it all. There's nothing I can learn there. There's nothing I can do there. I tell them what I should do, but they don't even listen to me. That means I should just go somewhere else and tell somewhere else what I can do. And anyways, it's not a mature mindset to have. He's saying, let's have a different mindset, right? Let's all... Be in and let's grow together. I, I love, I love growing together with people. I love, uh, I, I love growing with my wife. I love growing here as a pastor here at this church. I love growing as a father. I love growing in my revelation of Scripture. I love growing with, you know, all the different teams here. I like looking at everyone on the music team and just see how how people grow. I like growing together. That's that's what that's what a local church is about. It's about growing together. Amen? Um, and I believe, I believe we're growing. I haven't stopped growing here, so I got, I got plenty to learn. Plenty to still apprehend and to attain. Amen? And, and kind of the more I grow, the more I realize I don't know, and I need to apprehend and figure out a lot more. Amen. All right, verse 17. So keep moving forward. Uh, this, this is awesome here. Verse 17, kind of to the end of this chapter. My last point on rejoicing is to realize that you're, you are a citizen of heaven. This earth is not your home. And I sometimes I'm glad this is a temporary lease I have here on earth, you know. Um, and some of the things that we experience and see here in this world, like, it's a temporary thing. Some things can get frustrating here, but um, we, we need to realize that our citizenship is in heaven. And that, that's one reason why we sometimes feel out of place here. I remember um, the first time, you know, when, when we started this church uh, in 2001, I moved from Kit Carson, Colorado, to Colorado Springs. So I went from a town of 300 to a, you know, the freshman class at Cheyenne Mountain High School, a class of over 300. You know, on the first day of school, I was offered marijuana, offered alcohol, you know. A bear ran across the sidewalk right in front of me as as I was walking up, you know, the sidewalk going home. Like, my, I, I felt very out of place. I'm not in Kansas anymore, you know. Eastern Colorado is pretty much Kansas. There's not much difference between Kit Carson and the further east you go until you get to, like, St. Louis, and then things start changing. <clears throat> the western part of the U.S. is just pretty flat and sparse and a lot of corn, a lot of cows. But I, I, felt I, I, I didn't feel like I was in place. And I kind of had to learn at that age that, hey, it's okay not to feel like you fit in. Because we don't fit in. And that's why I've always been different. Heather tells me I'm, I'm quirky or something, you know. I'm, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think, yeah, when that bear ran in front of me, the bear, the dragon, and the beast, and, and all just ran in front of me and just submitted to King Jesus. I, I just learned it's, it's okay to be different, and I, I've been comfortable being different because I know this, this is not my home. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. I, I love this. You know, Paul, Paul's saying, hey, look look at me. We need examples. We need flesh and blood examples of people who, who've, you know, who, who've lived, who, who are mature people, who, who stay, who, who, you know, find people who, who can be an example to you and, um. I like finding um, elders, people who are older in the faith, people who've actually walked that faith journey for, for decades upon decades and just watching, watching them, being like them. Um, you know, Pastor Larry Gifford over here spoke to the, the men's ministry Saturday, and I just thought, man, what a great example of someone who just loves God, loves people, loves the church, you know, and he's sharing, how you know, I'm in this, Pastor Lawson's my pastor, you know, my, my kids, he's there, and even my grandkids, you know, like, and um, he's someone who's probably had multiple chances over 30 years of knowing Pastor Lawson to see some drama going on and get the, get the popcorn and get sucked into it. But uh, he's one of those people who's just, no, I'll just, I might be aware of what's happening, but I'm just gonna just stay out of that dogfight. And, uh, and that's, that's a better place to stand, on, on the side of the fence where the dogfight's not going on. Follow my example. In verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I love this. Verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Saying Jesus is over everything. He is over death. He is over, he's gonna, just like what Job said, I know that my redeemer lives and at last he shall stand on this earth. He's gonna subdue all things to himself. So keep rejoicing because this is not our home. No matter how good your home looks here, no, it's gonna look better in heaven. Amen. No matter how great of a life you lived here, and God wants you to have, He wants to, He wants to do good things for you here on this earth. But no matter how 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 good it, it's it's going to get better, with Jesus everything gets better. Period. Amen. And um, well, once we once we get to heaven and see Jesus face to face, you're going to say, "This is what home feels like." Amen. Amen. This this is what home feels like. This is what. Family, feel, this is what love feels like. This is, this is where I'm meant to be for all eternity, amen? And um, if you don't have a home called heaven, God wants you to be home there. He wants you to feel at home in his presence. Even when you experience his presence here on this earth, he wants you to feel at home, and I've seen even non-believers come into this church and feel, feel God's presence, and it draws people in. Because God, God is calling people home. And um, if, if you don't know where your eternal home is, God wants, you, God wants you to come home. And all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I, I want to come home. I want to live for you. I'm ready to come home. And you'll know that you're home, and you know where... Your eternal home is, amen, it's in heaven. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.